So episode seven of Demandism has gone fast. I guess to give everyone a bit of context around this one, we um, have been talking a lot and posting a lot on LinkedIn about how we've ramped our campaigns and how we're thinking about our campaigns a little bit differently. Um, so we wanted um, this to be a really actionable walkthrough of actually how we've done it. We've now launched our first campaign in this new framework. So yeah, really actionable. Um, there are quite a few slides. Um, <laughs> and we've also got Jamie, um, who's one of our demand managers here. And yeah, he's gonna join us because Jamie was actually owning and launching um, the B2B marketing doesn't have to be boring campaign under this new framework. Um, couple of housekeeping notes, just, yeah, feel free to ask questions and we'll try and answer them as we go. And we'll save a bit of time at the end as well. Um, so yeah, so we'll just jump into it. Um, cool. So, so I just wanted to talk a little bit just to set the scene about how we previously thought about campaigns and um, the new framework that we decided upon. And then Jamie's going to actually show you uh, what we tested, and then Liam's going to talk about um, results and how we can actually think about attribution, um, particularly in this like new demand gen world. So we've got the old way of campaigns. So again, it was operating under that real um, lead gen model and that lead gen mindset. Um, again, I've just like sort of detailed it out, but I won't read it all the way through. But um, essentially for us, the campaign used to be... Um, working with content on an ebook um, used to be like hundreds to 150 pages. Um, we'd put it on a landing page, add a form, and collect those leads, and probably spend a large part of our time with the sales team wondering if they'd followed up on the leads, if they'd gone into Salesforce properly. I think Liam's smiling because he knows these conversations all too well. Um, and yeah, that's that's where we would um, spend a lot of our time. And also reporting wise, we'd think about um, how many leads we had, what the cost per lead was. Um, and ultimately, these leads um, took a very long time or never really converted down the funnel. So, yeah, it's just really that old sort of ebook mindset. And the main focus was lead collection. So, since we've moved away from that um, and we've changed our thinking from this lead gen mindset to this demand gen mindset. Um, we redefined what a campaign should look like to us. So um, again, it's around a campaign telling a story that resonates with our core persona, um, has a strong narrative, um, a clear creative direction. I guess for us, um, we haven't really explored this before. I don't know um, if any of you guys have um, who are on the session, but um, we've never really um, launched an integrated campaign and changed um the look and feel and given it its own identity um jamie can talk a little bit more about this for the campaign that we've ran but, um i think that has made all the difference i think that um creative is a lot more important than we used to give it credit for um and so yeah that's that's something that we think is really important um present across multiple channels as well um again this is actually a deck from that i created from a deck that I created for my team. And um, yeah, I've put this little note, remember a campaign is not a campaign if it is only live on paid social. So we used to, um, yeah, get an ebook on a landing page, create some paid ads and that would be the end and that would be our campaign. So we really want to think beyond this. Um, and again, so the next point is that the campaign's present across multiple channels um, and feeds into multiple like content buckets and is made up of multiple content formats. So previously a campaign would be made of, like up of an ebook, but it was very, very top of funnel. And we rarely thought about product or bottom of funnel. So essentially um, we wanna make sure that we're encompassing um, each stage um, of the buyer journey. But again, as we always say, serving content throughout our, you know, to our whole ICP. So we serve bottom of top of funnel, right through to bottom of funnel to our whole ICP. Um, so yeah, um, and I think the main thing as well that um, we've really think about recently is just around the value that we're bringing. So really like the demand gen for me would just kind of like a buzzword really, unless you're actually thinking of how you're providing value for your audience like exactly where they're hanging out so again when Jamie will take you through these steps but when we're thinking about um 
you know, the, the narrative, um, the presence across the channels. We want the campaign to be present across channels where our audience are hanging out and in formats that provide the most value. So for example, if it's on LinkedIn, um, it will be video content um, providing value, like optimized, like in feed cons consumption, as opposed to always taking somebody like away um, from the platform into your website. So, yep, so that's just really like our new definition, just to set the scene. Um, and then we made sure we had a timeline. Again, Jamie will go into more detail, but it's um, from to phase four. So we really want to make sure that we're researching and validating. We're planning the campaign. We want to make sure that the messaging is resonant. Fascinating. Um, we've recently started using a tool called Winter, actually, that we, we love um, at the moment. And essentially, that helps us validate our messaging. Um, we run surveys and we send like our landing page content um, through um, to panels um, made up of our persona. And um, yeah, it really helps us um, understand if the messaging is resonating or not. So actually taking time, taking two weeks out of this timeline to plan and validate has been the most important thing for us here because again, that's where that value comes in. And then just another little overview. So it's like how we'll measure this success. So um, again, before um, when we previously were running like the ebook campaign model, we would focus on quantitative metrics um, made up of this like artificial funnel that we created. So we just like anticipate because somebody had seen an email three times, they'd suddenly be ready to buy. Um, we'd focus on things like number of leads, cost per lead, click rates, meetings booked, and that was pretty much it. Um, and that's what we'd report on week on week. Now, when we're thinking about a campaign, uh, the main is like how are, how are our audience responding and engaging? Are we providing like genuine value? Um, on that note, we do look at um, conversion metrics like pipeline growth and, and think about like inbound demo requests coming in. But I must say there's a bigger emphasis now on platform metrics, engagement rates, qualitative feedback, comments on LinkedIn posts, emails that we have um, through to our um, marketing um, email address, like um, positive feedback, like that all um, feeds into our reporting now. And I would say that like the engagement is just as important as the conversion metrics um, at this point, um, Liam's going to do a real deep dive into this right at the end, um, just around like attribution and how we're really thinking about it. So, um, so yeah, so that's just kind of overview, setting the scene. We've shifted our mindset and, um, yeah, let's, um, move on to Jamie. So Jamie, if you want to talk about, um, how our first campaign actually went, what you actually did, um, that would be great. Great, thanks, Brad. Hi, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm going to give sort of like a, a top level view of like how we actually approach the um, the process and the timeline that Franz just mapped out, and like how we sort of like broke that down uh, with our first campaign. So, like how we approached that week to week, and like sort of how we structured it. Um, so, I'll kick us off sort of in week one. Um, so. Week one, you're still like in the, the research and validation stage of this process. Um, so like for us to break that down, that meant the first few days spending a few days collecting and analyzing as many first and customer insights as possible. So really dive into any first hand information that you have, because um, that sort of like forms like the foundation of your initial idea and your initial concept. Um, so really diving into that. And then um, what we did was come up with an idea we didn't necessarily have that like formalized on paper but what i did was have a meeting with your internal experts with the idea so the person that's probably closest to the customer in your company um flesh out that initial idea with them discuss it assess it and get the analysis that's all in initial validation from them um, and then when you're confident after that meeting that's when you go away and build like the what of your campaign so like what you're going to bring to market what message you're going to bring to market so your concept your narrative all of your key messages go away and get that formalized on paper um and then at the end of the week one that um that concept that narrative all those key messages and meet with like either your campaign team or like the main stakeholders in the business who are involved um, and spend some time fully assessing those pieces so really go through the concept the narrative the messages and the main purpose of that meeting at the end of the week is just to get everybody as aligned as possible moving into week two so that there's no days. Um, you know exactly, um, everyone knows exactly what the plan is and what the idea is um, at that stage and 
what you're going to bring to market. And if there is anything else to tweak or there are changes to make, you've got time going into week two and you know exactly what needs to be done. Um, so that's sort of in a nutshell how we approach the week. But to give you an idea of like how that worked for us. Um, so like we knew the campaign, like we wanted to target our marketing persona and we were going to initially do that six to eight week period and evaluate that at the end of that time period. Um, and for me, what informs sort of like my thinking and my initial research is that if I had six to eight weeks to um, to run a campaign um, and for us to target our marketing persona, I didn't want to cram campaign full of all the various marketing use cases and all the value that we bring marketers because there's a lot of things we can talk about. I wanted to focus on promoting one thing really well and having one message that went out really clear and promoting that really well in that six to eight period period to give it the best chance of resonating. Um, for me, what led my research is I needed to figure out what's the one message that would motivate the majority of our persona. Like what was the most common use case among our customers? What's motivating marketing buyers to come to Cognizant and seek us out? Um, and I think for most marketers, like the ideal situation would be that you'd be able to, like, especially in your research phase, like, you'd be able to go out and like do like a few weeks of interviews with like your best customers, analyze all that, maybe run a huge survey. Um, but in the real world, like often marketers don't have that sort of time and that sort of resource. So what we leaned into was the first party, uh, the first hand customer insights we had. And fortunately for us, we have all of our customer case studies uh, recorded in Gong. Um, so all of our case study calls. Um, so I dived into those, listened back to all of our case studies um, with all of our marketing customers and analyzed all those responses. Um, and sort of what that overwhelmingly showed me was that the majority of customers coming to Cognizant marketing customers were motivated to, to come to us because of our lead generation use case. So essentially data to give to your sales team or to fuel your campaigns. That was the main reason they were coming to us. Um, and that sort of firmed up the idea that that was what we wanted to promote. That's what we wanted to take to market. We wanted to promote this, like, this lead generation use case. And during that research phase as well, a theme that we'd sort of like uncovered and we'd like we'd discussed was this idea of B2B marketing doesn't have to be boring. You see it a lot across LinkedIn. You see a lot of marketers talking about it. Um, so that was like a, an extra sort of like facet was like, we've got this lead generation use case. We've got this potential theme to set it against. Was there anything to link it together? Um, and it's at this point, in week one, you can start getting creative about like what your sort of concept actually, sorry, let me just go back, what your concept actually is. Um, so we started thinking about those two things and this was the concept that we come up with. It was called screen marketers from B2B boredom. Um, and in a nutshell, the campaign is essentially linking that popular pain point. So B2B marketing being boring with some of like the horrible, like antiquated, classic lead gen tasks that keep marketers from more productive work. So things like running gated content campaigns, syndicate content, uh, e-blast to get leads, um, dealing with list vendors, stuff like that. Um, and the idea was we wanted to build up this idea um, that it's these tasks that are making B2B marketing boring. So we can position Cognizant as a natural remedy to that because our on-demand data makes those tasks redundant and you complete that task in a minute, getting contact for your sales team, getting data for your campaigns. And that was the sort of like the idea the concept. And we sort of fleshed that initial idea out. Um, and it was from there that we could sort of break that down into some key messages. So this slide, you can sort of see on the top, but our primary message, really, the, the main thing to pay attention to that we're trying to get across was like, Cognizant takes care of those horrible, dull lead gen jobs that you hate um, and gives back time to focus on the marketing jobs that marketers love to do. Um, that's the primary message we're trying to get across in the campaign. That's the overarching message. And then underneath that, like we had a range of like supporting messages. Um, and essentially those are just like the, the boring, like horrible tasks that we can help alleviate. So things like gated content campaigns, list vendors, e-blasts, making them redundant. Um, and that's a whole idea of those support messages just to support the overall message. Um, and I think with this slide, like it's important, I think for us, we think of it, it's not really like a, it's not, we're not gonna translate all of these messages like into our ads word for word, or like it's gonna go onto our landing pages. Um, but it's like a framework for us to build our product messaging, to build our ads, to ideate on content. It gives us that foundation and like we know what we're trying to put in the market and we can dress that up however we like in all of our marketing materials.
Um, so at this phase, at this stage, yeah, you'd be done at week one. You'd have the what of your campaign, like you know what you're bringing to market, you know what the concept is, you know what message you're trying to get across. Um, the next phase for us was to move into week two, and that's the how. So that's like how are we going to bring the campaign to life? Like how are we going to get that message to market? And that basically means like all what are you, what content you're going to use, all of your channels, what tactics are you going to use, how are you going to bring this campaign to life? Um, and for us, the fact that we started with our content. Um, so the way that we approach content of Cognizant, all of our content is grouped into buckets. Um, and you can sort of see that here. There's three layers to the content in the campaign. Um, so there's our content and thought leadership bucket at the top there. Um, and this is basically all of like the broad top of the funnel assets that we're going to use to build that, camp that campaign narrative. So before we like talk about Cognizant, before we mention our product, these assets are just going to help build the narrative of the campaign. So really identify and draw out the pain of those lead gen jobs that we all hate to do um, and then show what's possible um, when those things don't consume your time. And like what's like what's a better way to do marketing, all the things you could be doing. Um, and the whole idea of this bucket of content and all the assets that exist inside of it is just to prime um, our prospects so that when our social proof messaging and our product messaging is introduced, um, that they might be a bit more effective to it because the idea has already been planted in their head, the campaign's been, the campaign narrative's been built, the idea that is already a seed in their heads. Um, and so you can sort of see like our social proof bucket, all of our testimonies and case studies, just to demonstrate in our customers' own words, all of like the tasks that we alleviate um, and like the freedom that we can give customers and our product bucket um, to make that connection between the Cognizant products, our lead generation use case, and the campaign narrative. So educating all the prospects, uh, educating prospects on like, all the lead gen tasks we alleviate and then hopefully like pushing them towards like a next action, whether that's like a demo or preferably some further product education. So like um, our prospects can learn about um, learn about our products um, at their own pace. Um, so that's how we approach content for this campaign. And to show that how that worked in practice for this campaign, um, so this is our, if we look at our content and full leadership bucket. Um, so I think the key thing to bear in mind is, is because this campaign, like it's been built in a way where we've done our research, we've used that research to inform like our, our mission and like our concept. And like the whole idea is that we want to find the most effective way to communicate that message and to like, get that, that message across. So we're not starting from like a platform first or a channel first sort of like way of thinking we're not thinking oh we need to get to a webinar or we need to get some ads live or we need to get um we need to do x activity we're thinking what is the most effective way to get this across the most creative way to get this across so it gives us scope um, to do things a little bit differently um so for us the way we approached like for example this bucket of content we had sort of like a few key assets um we had our content team go away um and build um, a bunch of long form guides and um, long form blogs that really explain the whole narrative of the campaign and broke that all down. Um, so all of the messages are overarching um, primary message and all the supporting messages as well. Um, we brought the team in for a recording day um, and we got all team team members to also unpack that messages uh, that message in video form and really like get that narrative um, out there in video form as well. Um, we did a live webinar um, which we did a few weeks back. Um, and that was all about as well, unpacking that key narrative um, in another format, giving it like a, a live dynamic. Um, and then on top of that, we haven't run this yet, but it's coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're doing like a gift and direct mail um, promotion. Um, and that's also linked into the narrative as well. So it like it links into this idea of like uh, pain and like like the problems behind uh, those old dull legion tasks and what's possible when you're not doing those um, with some meme videos as well. Um, but yeah, this is sort of like, you can sort of see how we approach it. So we had those content pieces and then like we spread that across like as many channels as we, as we thought were effective as possible based on where our customers hang out. So all of those various content pieces are communicating the same message across a multiple of um a multiple of channels um as making as big a splash as possible and helping build that narrative um so that gives you an idea of how, how we approach like content and channels and how we sort of brought the message and the concept uh to life um 
And then, so at this point, like you have your what, you've done all your research, uh, you have your how you're going to bring it to life. Um, you move into week three, which is basically building it. Um, so at this point, you're just doing all of the work that you need to do to get launched in week four. So briefing all your design assets, getting all your content pieces brief that you need to launch, um, writing all your ad copy, your landing pages, your marketing serials, any Gantt charts you need for like deliverables, um, just getting everything ready so you can launch in week three. Um, and just to sort of touch on something else here that Fran mentioned earlier that was important at this stage and slightly earlier. Um, for us, what was really important, there we go, what was really important in this campaign was with all of our creative assets um, and all of our assets in general, we wanted all of them to have like a common visual identity. We wanted them to have like a creative theme. Um, and I suppose the whole idea behind that is that we had this one message that we wanted to distribute and get out there. Um, and like, we wanted like, if a prospect sees all of our, our assets across different channels and all in different places, the whole idea really is that that creative theme helps to tie those assets together and make that message easier to recall um, and make it more memorable, especially in that short time frame, sort of six to eight weeks where we need to make an impact. Um, so that was sort of like the logic and the thinking and you can sort of see like with what we did we went for like a it's almost like a cartoon type of theme really bright really bold um and like i think that played quite nicely into the idea of like like rescuing marketers from b2b boredom like it sort of just ties in and reinforces that whole narrative um and that's why we sort of went with that and we've seen some really good success with that we've had some really great feedback um and like consider like over time we've sort of seen like the sort of the impact of the ads and especially our blog pieces as well um and we think that's really helped to tie the campaign together um but yeah so after week three once things built once everything's um once everything's done all that's left to do is launch um so you launch in week four that was our process um and in week four get it all out there get everything live and then start opening up that feedback loop um and start looking at the numbers and like how you're doing how things are performing and then you can start optimizing mid-campaign um but yeah, that's um, that was that was sort of the whole process, really, from week zero to week four, get everything launched. And that's how we sort of like broke it down. Uh, that's everything from me as well. Um, if you have any questions for me, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, but yeah, I'll just hand over to Liam now, uh, talk a little bit about measurement. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, we've, we've got a few questions, actually. Um, so we've got one from, uh, oh, Jessica's is up now as well. So do you use a platform to ensure the same customer is receiving this content across all channels. Um, no, we don't actually. So we have, um, we'd like the, we'll be like targeting people mainly um, in paid channels and like using LinkedIn's native audiences. Um, then we obviously use some of our own data from Cognizant, CRM data as well, and also metadata to target people in Facebook. Um, I suppose there's some trust there that you end up hitting people across channels um uh, like just by virtue of people being up there um but i obviously know that you could obviously house that all in in like one sort of um uh go to market platform and like something like terminus or something that could do that but we don't do that i don't know if anyone's got anything more to add to that no again just just playing into where your audience hang out so yeah um yeah yeah, yeah i mean uh, no. I think that's the key. Like you, you can you can try and you know you could try and sync it up like that. But really, if you're playing around where and like advertising and promoting and all the places that you know that your customers spend their time because you've spoken to them and they've told you that, then you don't really have to worry about whether you've, you're definitely going to be hitting them across LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube. You know, like you you can just rely on the fact that, that they will be there and you're um, you're advertising there. Um, another one earlier, which is, hey, just wondering if you guys have any tips on how to really double down on discovering the digital places where your ICP hang out. Uh, I mean, I was just going to say, just speak to your customers, whether that's uh, through uh, also just listening to disco calls or speaking to them directly, listening to case study calls and just asking people on them or just any which way you can talk to them. There's no, no, nothing better than from the horse's mouth, really. Um, and that's probably the best way of doing it. I don't think there's any shortcuts with that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything 
think anything. No, I, I agree on that. I think I spoke about it last time quite a bit. Um, but it's one of those, isn't it, where I used to say all the time, just listen to customer calls. And it was always at the bottom of the list. And now it's moved very firmly to the top of the list in terms of something that we always do. Um, and we've uncovered loads of things from speaking to our customer success team, listening to calls like on Gong. And, you know, we've found like podcasts that people have mentioned and we're like, oh, OK. And then we found that particular podcast is being consumed by like our sales audience um and you know it's somewhere where we need to be because that's where our audience is hanging out um so yeah i just think um it's it's very simple but um it's just carving out that time to do it and i think um i guess like when you're stuck in that lead gen mindset you're so focused on like operational things and making sure your leads are full and funneling into your platform but actually when you do start to switch to this mindset you do free up time to listen to those customer calls which are uh, super important like I know Jamie you did that didn't you in um like phase one you spent a lot of time doing that um which yeah. can sometimes not feel like work but it's definitely um made sure that this campaign's taken off so yeah. yeah I think that was pretty fundamental to the campaign though to be honest like for us like even if like you have like an inkling that that like of what the customer wants or like you have an idea of like what's motivating them like if you're spending that time and confirming that like you might save yourself a lot of like problems later on because you give yourself that layer of validation. Um, so I think that was like, we like for every sort of phase of that research phase, like we felt like we were common in the choices we were making um, because of like the, the breakdown of like the research and the planning. Um, so I think that's yeah. really important. Um, we got some more questions. I think, yeah, there you go. Directly for you, Jamie, I think. Uh, yeah, can you expand on how you optimize mid campaign? Sure. Um, so I suppose for us, like we we have our buckets um, of content. Um, so in terms of like, especially like paid socials, like a big like despite like obviously us testing different channels and like putting out as many channels as possible, paid socials are a big driver for us. So in terms of like our buckets on like paid social, like we can see like where the weaknesses are as we're tracking. Um, and so like we would like. For me, like I was straight in, like from week one of like examining exactly what buckets are performing, and like, and that could be like a bit. You want to look at a range of metrics depending on what your objectives are. Um, but like, for example, you could be looking, especially on like a if it's like product, you want to be looking at reach and like all of your reach metrics and like CTR going to like a, a demo page. Um, but really, just sort of like for us, like examining which buckets are performing at one time. Um, and diving into those and then making changes and variations as quickly as possible, um, especially in the short time frame that we had. Um, that was like a big part of the campaign, really, is just making those tweaks quickly um, and recognizing what parts of your campaign and the buckets really help with that, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'll go, I suppose, into this a bit in reporting, but there's some things that you could, you know, optimize on quickly, like uh, especially like engagement metrics and. Uh, things like that and there's other things that you'd wait longer to find out before you make any changes um so i think those things that you you can see haven't done well straight away you can change and optimize during the the lifetime of it um we've also got uh yeah how big is your campaign team um well i can jamie did this in like so the pod or the is a, a three but Jamie did this in a two because um, we hadn't fully resourced that pod. So um, then we have two two separate pods, right? So uh, of three, like one for our, our marketing persona and the other for um, the sales persona. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's I suppose there's more in terms of the size of the team overall, but the main campaign team is that. I, I suppose to add in, in the context of like the I think what he's referencing in the slide is that like when we had that meeting at the end of the first week, like the campaign team there would be myself, um, Oscar, who's our content person in the DG team who works with us, um, and Frank as well would be like the core people. But then there's like the stakeholders involved as well. So like Liam, for example, was involved, um, Alice, um, all the people who have like a, a stake in it were like in that meeting to like give us feedback um but those were just sort of like to give sort of like direction and like to give feedback i suppose yeah i think um probably should move on to your bit but oh, i was just going to get to this part because i think that feeds into another comment around um bigger teams and bigger companies and like struggling to get approval um yeah so do you have all the content assets created um so no um we got during for this campaign and, and we started on another one as well we um get as much 
ready as possible, but we don't use that. It's not a blocker for us. So if Jamie didn't have everything ready on an exact day, we would still launch. Um, we want to launch as much to make an impact, but um, we have no issue in um, phasing things in, um, albeit um, we're always, like Jamie can speak to this, but he's been cycling in new content as we've been going over the week, over the sort of wise week two, there was more content being cycled in and we're on like week eight now. Um, and I'd say that for like larger teams as well. I appreciate that. Well, it's kind of like twofold for like a larger team, it's probably getting the approval. And then for smaller teams, it's like the resource. So um, I would say start, if you're doing something like this and, and you're worrying about what's on your mind, I would say start with your best performing channel um, and make sure you've got content ready and optimized for that channel. And you can start cycling other channels um, as you continue. Um, I wouldn't let it be a blocker. Um, I think traditionally, like remember I used to launch like, like Omni channel campaign. I can't remember what I used to call it years ago, but um, I would have to have everything in a row and like launch it at 10 a.m like on the morning of and um but yeah we don't we don't really work like that anymore <laughs> so yeah i don't know if you guys have got anything to add but um yeah. yeah i'd say don't be held back by having everything ready to go at the same time no i think maybe if i was in a larger and like having worked in bigger corporates as well i would maybe you know i'd still work to that sprint of the actual campaign to some extent but i would maybe have more of my ducks in a row before i started and get um more content ready so yeah maybe drag it out a little bit longer um but the actual lifetime part of the campaign i would try and keep keep the same in terms of testing and then getting stuff added to it um but obviously it's a challenge like if you've got long approval processes and a million moving parts um I think if in the smaller team you can be really agile then and maybe just not worry about volume of content so much and just have your key pieces like and your key channels and focus on the bits that you can do really well. Um, but yeah, it, it's, yeah, it does vary. I feel like we're in a, a nice little middle stage where we can move quite fast um, because we're small enough, but then after we've actually got resource to do it. So but I agree. I think a key part, though, structurally, which you can change, is having a content person in the team, in the campaigns team, who is solely there to support it, who can then turn stuff fast. And it's not going out to another separate content team to then, you know, amongst all the other stuff that they're doing, for like blog and stuff, to get it back for the campaigns team. I mean, that, that speeds up the whole thing. Um, but obviously, that's a structural change again, um, if you don't have that. Um, cool. Shall we uh, move to, the, to your attribution yeah. bit? Because I know we get so many questions on, like we talk about what we run, but then we get so many questions on what, how we're thinking about attribution now. And I know you've got some great slides, but um, yeah. again, some... I'll try and answer the questions in the chat as we go. And then if we've got time at the end, we can do another round. Yeah. And there's some questions here on um, uh, like, how do you share audience insights and stuff afterwards and keep with the rest of the company to keep learning and improving, um, I think we might get there by the end of this. But if not, we can um, we can go back to that. Um, so yeah, how do how do we measure how are we measuring success of the campaigns? Um, so uh, I think when it starts is like, and everyone asks like, well, what metrics do I track? And if I'm not collecting leads in like a, a legion uh, system, like, well, am I tracking? How do I know if this campaign's doing well? Um, it's a it's a real struggle and worry um but there are two main areas you want to measure and i think you should measure them with, with equal weight and this is how i did it in my mind um and that's so your reach and engagement metrics which is like impressions reach video views frequency things like that it can be like if you were doing oh uh, if you're doing like um email it's like delivery rate open all of that stuff again so this is cross channels but i think i've used quite a lot of paid ones here click through rate engagement rate likes comments qualitative feedback and shares that could be replies to emails as well like an email campaign um traffic time on page bounce rate um you know people attending your webinar commenting in that uh, that's like again all comes under reach and engagement and you want to be measuring all of those things for like the simple reason because that is really telling you whether your content and the campaign that you're putting out is resonating so Jamie's done all the hard work and finding out what the 
what our customers are looking for, prospects are interested in, and then you've got to put your message out. And the only way that you're going to immediately tell quickly um, about asking people whether that, again, that message resonated is all these metrics. Um, and that where the wheels of, sort of the demand gen motion happens. Then after that, you can look at your conversions, which is like any leads that have come through directly attributed to that, um, to that campaign. Um, so maybe from a direct response ad, or maybe they've come through from something else with UTMs and then completed the form, and then you can tag, track it back to that campaign. Any anonymous conversions like coming in from LinkedIn on those campaigns. So that's what where we set it. Anonymous conversion is where we'll set it up on LinkedIn to say, you know, we'll track, you've got the tracking pixel. If um, if they complete a demo within 30 days of ever coming through a LinkedIn ad, then we'll give them a conversion on, on LinkedIn so we can like track there that, you know, they've come from LinkedIn um, at some point in time and give us some idea that they've come from that campaign. Goal completions, um, again, in uh, Google Analytics, you can see if people have read a blog and then later gone on to complete a demo form and you can measure the goal completions there, which gives you another picture of a conversion. And then obviously pipeline. So you can assess everyone with the UTMs in pipeline that show leads, the lead source and your campaign um, uh, and, where you're, and where it's breaking down. The main thing that you have to do is ditch the conversion mindset. So how many leads uh, do we get is literally the death of all good campaigns. Um, and even looking, and even that's not even just leads, even if you're just obsessing over the directly attributed pipe in your CRM will kill it. Um, but you've got to accept is that, that you're going to have, your campaign might generate a ton of demand where you just lose the attribution on it. Um, and if you just look at it as that you've lost, um, you know, that you don't have like much pipe or inbound with like the, like with UTMs relating to this campaign or with people saying on the self-reported attribution that, They've, they heard it from this campaign particularly and then switch off, you might be switching off a good thing. So that's where you need to focus on your engagement metrics to really tell if your people are focusing on the content. Because the reality is people could look at your content, engage with your content, do 101 million other things and then come back and complete the demo form because you're just top of mind because of all of it. And it could, and if they're engaged with your content, it could very well do be down to your uh, campaign. Um, so you've got to also layer in here some of the broad measures of inbound demand to draw conclusions on the effectiveness. Um, and of course, um, any directly attributed demand that you can pick up from this, like conversions and stuff, is just a massive like bonus and it gives you like and gives you even more idea of the success of it. Like obviously if you're getting a lot of directly reported conversions, like you must be doing really well. Um, so but it's definitely not the be end and end all. You have to look at both of them. Um, so what does success look like? Um, so we run three comparisons to help us like inform then our effectiveness. So we're looking, um, and we've got these built out in, um, Google analytics. So, uh, on, on Google data studio, um, pulling in, uh, data from all the relevant places. So, um, we'll look at performance over time, which gives you, um, a good idea of like when something is starting to diminish. So you could. But we'll be what tracking like uh, the um, week on week changes in like um, like the blog views, for example, of like the content we're putting out, maybe like and the bounce rate and time spent on page and things like that. And we're doing the same for over for the ads, like looking at our like um, click through rate, uh, the the reach that we're getting from them, video views, and like how many people are watching above fifty percent and stuff. And we can watch this over time. And as soon as something starts to decline. Um, and maybe our frequency cap is hit, then we can start to be realized like, okay, that needs to change you. We need to cycle that out. Or maybe this campaign's coming to an end and becoming tired. Um, we also have benchmarks that we have performance again, which I'll, I'll go back a bit into later, which is obviously looking at like um, the averages we've built up over ourselves, like benchmark our campaigns. Um, and then we do use it performance against existing campaigns. So we have a series of like, other campaigns, like which we would call out always on campaigns, running content that we know works really well, um, with like a, a generic sort of like cognizant branding, like less like messaging, like less like focus on a particular messaging, like these campaigns, and we can we're comparing all our metrics against that. Um, how's it doing against always our always on like campaigns? If it's particularly if it's doing better, then we've got something to 
you know, enhance our always on campaigns data, if it's doing worse, then okay, why aren't we hitting the mark and we can you can measure it from there. Um, I think it's important to measure though all of these things against like the right metrics. So it might be tempting, for example, and we've definitely fallen into this before. So you're measuring your ads and we you just like you look at click-through rate because it's easy, but actually the objective of some of those ad campaigns would be like reach or video views, which means that if you're measuring click-through rate, yeah, you're measuring something. Like obviously the higher click-through rate is all better, but you're not, you're actually measuring, not measuring it against the goal of that campaign. So really we want to be looking at like video views. It's like how many people are watching the video through and like reach. We want to see how many people in that audience we've reached and the frequency that we're reaching them at. Um, and then like the engagement on the ad in feed. So it's like, you got, you've got to make sure that we are measuring each individual tactic with the right thing to be able to enforce whether, it, whether it's working or not. Um, and I think also it's important to say that the performance over time, performance against benchmark, performance against existing campaigns, they all work in tandem. Like you can't be, you don't want to come in and be like, oh, we're below our benchmark on this, scrap it. Um, but then actually over time it's getting better and against existing campaigns it's doing it's actually you know not doing too bad at the moment so like you you want to like, like take it all in as one big picture there is no like single metric anymore like oh i you know i've just generated 40 leads that will be able to like tell you whether you can you should stop or start um the campaign um so and then when you're looking at conversions um i think we would always like measure what you can attribute um but also importantly measure what you can't so um it's good to be able to see what like direct conversions uh, your campaign is generating as i said before like the more the better um it's always great but you don't want those conversions to be your north star on campaign success um because it could lead you down the wrong path um so i would always say to take a look at like the general trends too um so this combined with like um your any positive engagement metrics will show you like really whether your campaign is dying or flying so um here obviously at the top we've got like this uh like our own snapshot of the actual directly reported com like conversion metrics that we've got but at the bottom then we're looking at like our, our actual global pipeline over month on month and also inbounds and like so no matter what the number is here and whatever we think is is good or bad, this number is flying and going way better than any of our like looking back over the last six months. Um, so it you know it this, and this I think proved very well could be that we're just getting loads of inbounds uh, and loads of pipe from unattributed sources, and it doesn't mean that the campaign is then failing. Um, I mean I must say like we probably not got well into this enough to actually fully know our benchmarks on particular campaigns as well and what we would expect to see at this level. Um, and that's something we need a few more months data of and how we can figure out. Um, and then benchmarks. So I think everyone, quite often you always get asked like, oh, what's the industry benchmark for this? What's the benchmark for that? Uh, and like people pluck out numbers, but like, I think you have to work on your own benchmarks um, to get any guide for your campaigns. Um, and that's what we've sort of done here. So it's a quick screenshot of some of them. Um, however, obviously benchmarks are only averages, so they can only, only judge them alongside other metrics or factors. For example, average might just be really poor, or you might have just had a you know a few good months of data that's made your average uh, you know way too good. Um, so and there might also, like I said, be different campaign goals and different uh, campaigns that provide different. Uh, have different success metrics so you you can't be like measuring your the click-through rate against the average of it or like your benchmark of it if all, all you're running is like lots of video ads so they're again another guideline um but here are all some of the benchmarks that we're tracking to try and like help give us that guideline as well like and obviously the higher like sometimes it's the lower but like obviously um the higher the better uh, quite often and you just know that like you know if you're above benchmark then great if you're below then how do we work towards it is there anything i'm doing wrong that's maybe causing this or is there another reason that means that it doesn't actually matter um but yeah i think that, that that's probably all i've got to say on benchmarks but but yeah that is all i've got yeah thank you guys amazing
Oh, amazing. Thank you. Um, I guess, oh, got questions already. Amazing. Um, cool. Um, so how do you set up targeting for the different buckets from the top of the funnel, down to product content? How do you guide the persona? Okay, so um, I can start with this one. I think um, we're trying to move out, like, away from, um, I guess, like, guiding our persona or our audience, like, through a specific uh, journey and I think I mentioned it earlier about creating this like artificial funnel so used to the mindset um has previously been if somebody's engaged with your content then they're ready for a demo and we say it a lot and I use this term a lot but like the buying journey isn't linear we don't know where somebody is in the buying cycle just because somebody's viewed um something like one of your product pages doesn't mean that they're necessarily ready um it does show higher intent but um you know we can't we can't predict where people are um in this journey so for us um the main thing is um we serve all of the content to the audience all of the time for these campaigns so each um audience is the same for like each bucket no matter what like stage they're at or no matter whether we're talking about top of funnel through to bottom of funnel I don't know if you guys want to don't know if I've been very clear there so you guys might want to chip in um on that um yeah no I mean it's exactly that like um just everyone is targeted throughout the campaign uh target everyone like give everyone everything because um, yeah. you never know yeah where they'll be in their in their buying cycle so and like sometimes you you know you see things in uh in a uh, like maybe an conventional order by like the marketing funnel uh, terms and you might see like a product ad like oh I've I've got to know Cognizant's product a bit more but I don't really feel the need for it and then you watch some sort of piece of content or thought leadership and then you're like oh hold on a minute actually I'm, I've not done that yet I'm missing a trip they see another product ad it reconfirms what you could do with it so you know I mean it could you could receive it in many different ways at or most likely you can receive it, understand it all in one, but you're just not ready to buy. Um, but like consistent, um, like uh, education over it and stuff means that when that moment you are ready to buy, you'll jump straight to it. Uh, and you'll be like, oh, well, I've learned about cognizant loads. I, they're going to be the ones that can help me. Um, Put it better than me. Give everyone everything. I think that's like a good, <laughs> a good way to summarize it. Um, just one, I guess just one thing on attribution. Um, just something that I've been asked quite a lot recently. Um, I think, and we've been discussing it internally as well. It's really difficult um, sometimes to get away from that mindset that you need conversions from your campaigns um, and you need to see that in like Salesforce or your CRM. And um, I speak to Liam a lot about this and we're trying to add like equal value on seeing a conversion versus like seeing that engagement as well. Um, and I think it can be difficult to get buy-in um, from senior stakeholders when you stop um, reporting on, um, well, I wouldn't say stop, but when you, yeah, if you suddenly stop reporting on these conversion, like in like CRM, Salesforce funnel metrics. I think um, one piece of advice that Alice, our um, CMO always gives is when she was thinking about making this switch to demand gen, when she went to like her board meetings or meetings with senior stakeholders, she would present her slides like, her revenue her rev ops slides at the end of the month and she would um report on the funnel metrics say like the leads we've had the meetings booked and um, right down to the revenue but alongside that she'd also report on positive engagement we'd had in platform qualitative feedback we'd had um messages from people saying i've listened to your podcast and now i'm gonna um it's so interesting you guys really blah 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 like i'm gonna now i've since then um submitted a demo request or I've spoken to an old colleague and they said they're using Cognizant. So I think really to get that buy-in, Alice started reporting those two things in equal weight in every meeting. And I think it's a hard shift to make and sometimes I lose myself in it a little bit, but it's making sure that you're reporting on those engagement metrics as well as those conversion metrics. And I think Liam puts it really well you're not going to get the conversion metrics for a while. You're not going to switch to a demand gen model and then wake up the next day and suddenly got loads of inbound demo requests. It does take time. But whilst you're waiting for that, you know, look at the engagement, look at feedback. And if it's, you know, a lot more positive than the previous stuff that you've been running, then you know you're doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just important to note that. Um, and of course, like, it's, it's not going to be easy, but yeah, I think that's what we've been talking a lot about recently. Mm -hmm. 
Um, any here. Uh, so how do you how do you know to attribute inbounds to your campaign? Um, find that sales are continuing brand test their side and demand can be seasonal as well. So um, anything that inbounds, um, anything that comes through the demo form is a marketing um, is marketing attributed. And then what we have is uh, we just we place uh, first and last touch UTMs uh, uh, based on like what people coming through from um, like if they come from LinkedIn, they click through the ad or the UTMs will track with it. Same um, on Facebook, anything like that, anything that we put out when they complete that form, it then uh, uh, tags the uh, hidden UTM fields. And then we can like directly track that inbound back through to um, the, the campaign. But as I was saying as well, there's going to be loads of campaigns, loads of people that, you know, don't come through direct like that. And uh, we'll just fill out the inbound form and we'll have noting on it. Um, and that's just something that we're, willing to accept uh you know we'll we've also got a self-reported attribution field that people can fill out on the landing page if if they remember that this was the last thing that they saw before or the thing that really jogged their memory that they um that made them complete the demo form then we'll find out there but you know often people maybe have been listening to your podcast for a whole, for like six months and that's what they'll put down even if they did interact with a campaign ad um, there's some part of it that you just have to accept that you will, you will never get that conversion metrics, but you can see how well people are actually engaging with the campaign as well. Um, and I think that's that's where it's key. You've got to measure everything and take it all into account. Yeah, agreed. Perfect answer. Um, have we got time for any more? Or are there any more questions? Um, let's have a look. Um, Think we're all good we are all good amazing cool well thank you guys and jamie thank you for joining us as our special guest um yeah amazing and no alice this time because she is actually on her honeymoon which is exciting but um i'm sure she will be making an appearance in the next couple of episodes so that's cool but um jamie amazing job and yeah thank you for sharing all of those insights um feedback is is key for us on these so um please do feel free to submit um yeah submit any feedback and any topics that you might want to hear about um any i don't know feedback on the format anything you might like us to do differently um that would be amazing um so I'll let you go but um yeah have a have a great day thanks thanks guys <laughs>